Good to be in the house of God. I just, again, I, I, I am in love with Jesus for no other reason except that he loved me first. I did not know what love is or look like. I confused one word with the other, and I realized that when God came into my life, it wasn't about what I had accomplished or done, but what he had done and what he had accomplished. So for me, it was difficult for me to first grasp that concept because there was this, this mindset that I had. And, and when we have a mindset, it kind, of, it, it kind of like clashes when we come into the house of God and begin to hear his word. Now, I uh, commute three days a week. I live in Jersey, and I commute with my daughter uh, because she lets me drive her car. Uh, and uh, she calls me her Uber, so, you know, I... Uh, We'll go to pick her up. She works in the Upper East Side, and every time we come down, we come down, we come down the FDR going south. Right before you get out to the Brooklyn Bridge, if you ever travel that way, there's a break, right? If you're coming to Brooklyn, you go left. If you're going to Jersey, you got to go right. And on that occasion, as I was coming, I I went left. Now, you know, I was like halfway through, then I realized I'm not going to Brooklyn. <laughs> I'm going to Jersey. Now, that happened a couple of more times, right? Now, and I realized why it happened. It, it happened because I was so used to going left that in order for me to go right, it had to be an intentional renewing of my mind. That there had to be, an, you know, as I was getting there, having a conversation, all of a sudden I'm going left again. And I'm like, oh, man, what did I do that? Now I got to go to Brooklyn, come back, you know, go through the Holland Tunnel. It's a whole mess. But somehow there is this pathway that was set in my mind that even when I got to that point, I wound up going left. I'm not the only one. I'm sure that you've done something, gotten on the wrong train, gone somewhere, walking down a block, saying something, doing something, and you're wondering, why am I doing this? The medical profession refers to that as neural pathways in our brain. The more you do something, the more habitual it becomes. Yeah, you didn't hear that one, right? That the more you do something, the more habitual it becomes. Your mind uh, uh, now develops these highways between point A and point B that you don't have to worry about because you normally get up. How many people take the subway here to go to work? How many people go to the same block, down the same street, and catch the same train and stand in the same part of the platform? Okay, right? Without anybody telling you. It's your, you're on automatic. Your mind has developed these pathways, but we also have a mind that sets up survival instincts as well. And those are the things that also create a pathways in which we um, hinder our ability to enter into relationships because what happens is, we, in our minds, we've experienced some kind of trauma that now has created a pathway that says, I'm never trusting anyone again. I'm not going to that church. I'm not going to that barbecue. In fact, they go to that person now. I'm going to go the other way. Our mind begins to develop these pathways in our lives. Paul speaks about this. Like, Paul talks to us about this, and he's writing specifically at this moment, the scripture we're going to read, he's writing to the Christians in the Roman church. Now, Paul has never been to Rome. He goes there once, and he never leaves. That's where he winds up dying. Now, if you know anything about Paul, you know that Paul himself had to have his mindset changed. If you know anything about the story of Paul, Paul was Saul of Tarsus. And Saul of Tarsus was this brilliant, young, up-and-coming guy who was just, you know, like, like he was on fire for his God. And so much so that anybody who opposed his God, he would go after with a vengeance. In fact, he would have warrants. He would have documents saying, I want you to pursue all these Christians. And by the way, they weren't called Christians then. They were called people of the way. Right? Because they refer to Jesus' term as I am the way, the truth, and the life. So it's people of the way. And he would pursue these people. He would persecute them. He would arrest them. In fact, he even would kill them. Now, this was Saul of Tarsus, that he was locked and loaded. That was his mindset. He thought he was doing the right thing. But in reality, he wasn't. 
And I know a lot of us in this room think that we're doing the right thing, but the Bible says that a man thinks he's doing right, but it's leading to death. And we have to be mindful of that because we can do this and never receive the blessing of God. We, we can cross our arms and cross our legs and pout all we want in this room, but I have to tell you that at the end of the day, if your mind is not renewed by the entrance of God's word, you will continue in that mindset to the point of your demise. You'll never experience the blessing of God. Oh, you got a job, but that's not a blessing. It's natural. You went and applied, and you got the job. Praise God. Whether you keep it or not, it's a different thing. Because we all get through the door, don't we? Someone once told me that my abilities and my talents will get me through the door, and only character will keep me there. I think about all these famous people, especially one of my favorite players. Anybody know Tiger Woods? I love Tiger. Like, like, seriously, when he was playing on the court, you could hear the roar of the fans as he was coming up. And anybody who was competing against him would tremble because they know, oh, my God, Tiger's coming. Like, he's in the 17th hole, I'm in the 18th hole, and he's, gonna, he's coming, and I'm only two strokes ahead of him. He's going to get me. Talented as could be. And what brought him down? No one ever helped him address his character. No one ever helped him address his mindset. Let's stand to our feet as we read the scripture today. Amen? Again, this is not Christian calisthenics. This is us honoring the word of God. If you need to exercise, you join Planet Fitness. There's a special this month, $10. Okay? Okay, so let's, let's read this together, okay? It's only two verses, so let's read it out loud. Um, at the count of three, it should be on the screen, okay? One, two, three. Let's read. Mercy to offer your bodies. Worship to conform to the pattern of this world to be transformed. Then you Amen. That is the reading of God's word. You may be seated. A couple of things we want to look at, and it's the first word that says therefore, because if you hear anything say therefore, then you have to read before that. If you're studying God's word, know that if there's a therefore, there's something that came before it that therefore makes that statement even more profound. So I'm going to read verse 34 in chapter 11. It says, for who has known the mind of the Lord? Question mark. Or who has become his counselor? Or who has the first given to him and it shall be repaid to him? Verse 36. For of him and through him and to him are all things. To whom be the glory forever. Amen. Then comes verse 1. Therefore, in light of this, in light of the fact that everything belongs to God, everything emanates from God, that nobody can add anything to God or take away anything from God, that he doesn't need you, wake up So you think you're God's gift to the world. He doesn't need you. He is inviting us into this loving, caring relationship, and we get, you get to experience the fullness of life. Now, this abundance of life that people talk about is not that you're going to have a big bank account, a big house, a big car. That doesn't mean that. The fullness of life is that you're going to have peace and joy and more of him. And if that's not enough, then you're in the wrong place. Because the money runs out. The house erodes. The car, after you drive it off the lot, has lost its value. What we need is more of him, like that song says, nothing else. I don't want anything else. So in light of that, he tells them, in fact, in, in the New King James Version, it says, I beseech you. It's almost as if he's pleading with you and saying, therefore, brethren, by the mercies of God. He says, first and foremost, in the view of his mercy. How many people know that God's mercy is new every morning? How many know that his mercy poured out his wrath on his son on the cross because you wouldn't be able to handle his wrath? I mean, some of us get a little flick in the ear and we bug out. By the way, that's, that's what I... My little, my little nephews walk around like this. <laughs> but, but, but think about this. 
Think about that. He says, in view of my mercies, the fact that I have loved you, I have justified you, I, I, I have not found you guilty. In fact, I love you so much. Here's what I need you to do. I need you to offer your bodies as a living sacrifice. Ooh, very silent, very quiet. Now, you have to be mindful of what that means. I go back to the therefore prior to that. He says, everything belongs to me, right? Your life is God's gift to you. What you do with it is your gift back to God. It's important for us to realize that what he's saying here, first and foremost, offer your bodies as a living sacrifice unto me, realizing that further on he talks about how this body is the temple of the Holy Spirit. And he has set boundaries for you to use this body for his glory, not for your pleasure. See, that's a mindset. It's a mindset because you don't realize that it's not your body. It belongs to God. Yeah, I know, you didn't come to church to hear this. But, but here's what you have to understand. I'm not here to inspire you. I'm not here to give you information. The purpose that we study God's word, the purpose that we come to listen to God's word is so that it can transform us. You see, unless the word of God is transforming you, and it, it's not happening because you're not reading it, and also you're not understanding it. You're not putting yourself in an environment where you can learn what God's word says because if you don't know this, it won't help you. The Barnard Group says that Bible illiteracy in the Christian church is close to 80%. I can poll this room right now and ask each and every one of you, how often have you read the whole Bible? How often do you read the Bible? Weekly. How often what you read do you understand? This is why you're living like you're living. Because until you understand the word of God, it's not going to transform you. It's just going to be words on a page that you heard and you say, yeah, I heard that, but meanwhile you're still dipping and diving. Yeah, I heard that it said that. Man, that's beautiful. But yeah, I, don't, I, don't, I, I like doing this. That, that brings me more pleasure than sitting down and reading God's word, systematically studying it to understand it because if I don't change my mind, I'm going to continue to live the way everybody else lives. And that's what he says here. He says, do not conform to the patterns of this world. Now, he's talking to people who are living during the Roman times. And you have to understand something about the Romans. They were influenced by two groups. One were the Stoics and one were the skeptics, specifically the Greeks, the Hellenistic Greeks, right? Like Greek influence was all over the place because they were learned people. And what began to happen was that it influenced Rome in such a way that one is the buildings they built were mammoth. They had all this fantastic architecture. Of course, the road system that Rome was able to build made it possible, and we still use that to this day. But also, the Greeks were into pleasure. So you got the skeptics who say, if I don't see it, and if I can't measure it, then I can't believe it. And then you have the Stoics who say, well, I, 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 really, don't, I really don't think that God exists. Now, the Greeks also believed in these immortal gods, small g. They lived on this Mount Olympus. <laughs> you know what's crazy about these gods? They were sick. They were depraved. You know Hercules? Everybody knows Hercules in the story. Everybody loves Hercules, right? Strong, powerful guy. You know that he's half god, half human? Do you know how that happened? God their God, small g, came down from Mount Olympus, disguised himself, and had sex with a human woman. And Hercules was born. That's a pretty sick God. He's a pervert. <laughs> Definitely. Think about that. Because they had these temples and these things set up, and what he's saying, I don't want you to conform yourself to pleasure-seeking. Or pursuing those things because you think you're smarter than everybody else. So they had these courts where they would read things and then exchange philosophy and they'll speak about Socrates and this. He said, I don't want you to get caught up with that mindset. I don't. I want you, first and foremost, to be transformed by the renewing of your mind. Why? Because then you'll be able to know the, the will of God. You will not know the will of God until you give yourself over to studying God's word. It worries me. 
It worries me as a pastor because the power of God is in his spoken word. So when the enemy comes after you, you should have your sword to defend yourself in that moment. Some of you are unsheathing your sword and cutting yourselves. Some of you haven't sharpened your sword in so long that it's so dull that you couldn't cut butter with it. <laughs> Guys, this is not me doing anything else but beseeching you, brethren, to realize that in order for you to be transformed and not conform to this world, listen, there has to be a difference in your life because you're coming every single day and you're giving yourself over to learning what God has to say in his word. If you don't do that, if the word of God doesn't get into you, if you don't put yourself in an environment where you're learning, you're going to conform to this world. You know what you'll get caught up with? Politics. <laughs> you get a call up politics. You'll get your mindset from the political party that you belong to. And last time what I read the most powerful words of Jesus before he left was he didn't say become a Democrat. He didn't say become a Republican. He didn't say argue about what's happening in the Middle East. He said, go and make... No, no, come on, church. Go and make... Okay, are you being discipled? And are you making disciples is the question. Some of you are saying, I don't know what that means. Well, I'm glad that you don't know what it means. Because it's evidence of the fact that you're coming and this is not something that you're engaging in on a regular basis. A disciple is someone who follows someone. In this case, we want to be disciples of Jesus Christ. When I first came around, I'm so grateful that I was so ready that God put me in an environment of, of people who knew the word and taught me the word. Now, mind you, I argued a lot. I questioned things a lot. I came from a mindset which I believed that we descended from apes. Come on now. Yeah. Some of you in this room are going, yeah, man, I believe that with you. Okay? And I was able to teach you and convince you of it. That was my mindset. So I had a lot of questions. I, I couldn't wrap my head around the seven little days of the creation. I couldn't say, you're kidding me. But then I began to read the word of God, and it says a day to the Lord is like a thousand to us. And I was like, okay, I can begin to put that together a little bit. I can begin to do that because you see the Bible, and you don't realize it doesn't necessarily talk about time. Right? And we assume that, okay, you know, two days went by, three days. No, sometimes it's years. You know? It was so funny because the other day I asked somebody, um, what was Joan of Arc's relationship to Noah? You know what someone told me? That was his wife. <laughs> yeah. This person is a Christian. Yeah, you see, you see a look? That, that's my look. Why? Because they don't read the word. They watch Russell Crowe make a movie, and they say, wait a minute, that's a mechanical dog. There had to be a mechanical dog during that time. You don't get your theology from the movies or from Google. You get your theology from diving into this and allowing the Holy Spirit to teach you. Because here's what it says, right? Like, like, like Paul knew that there were things that he wanted to do but yet was not doing. Romans chapter 7, verse 15 through 20 says this. I do not understand what I do. Mind you, this is Paul. For what I want to do, I do not do. Right? Like, I didn't want to go left. Every time I got under FDR, I wanted to go home. And I wound up coming to Brooklyn. Why? Because in my mind, there were these pathways already that was locked. There was this habit that was formed in me that I couldn't break unless I intentionally made a conscious decision to change the way I was thinking. Guys, stinking thinking will always get you in trouble. It's important for you that if you're in a process that you're looking at the literature, that you're looking at the Bible, and that you're applying it to your life on a daily basis, there is no way if and but for you to get past this world without it. See, what happens is we begin to blame people for their condition rather than realize that there is a system that made those people, made these people, made us succumb to these conditions. You throw anybody into abject misery and they'll do whatever they can to survive. But yet, we'll say, they're savages. 
They're animals. They're crazy. I met a man in the subway the other day. And um, you know those moments where, by the way, I pray every single day and ask God to put somebody in my path. I pray for the sick. I pray for the lost. So when the opportunity affords itself, God really wants to see if I'm going to do what I've been praying for. <laughs> and uh, I, I, was, I was rushing. I had just given like 10 tubes of blood, and I was feeling a little dizzy. And um, got on the, I was getting ready to get on the subway, and I'm a sixth train, and there's this guy sitting on the bench. And, and I'm not the type of person that looks at people for a long time, but I, I, the Holy Spirit like drew me towards him. He was, he was all messed up, you know, scabs. You know, you can tell that he was using. He was, just, he was just all messed up, but he was reading this book. It wasn't a Bible. It was just a, a book. He was reading that. He was sitting on a bench, messed up how he was, and he was reading a book. And I was sitting there, and, and God was like, go, you know, give him something. And I'm like one of those guys. I'm not giving money, right? Because I got this craziness in my mind. They're going to use it for something. Who cares what they use it for? Like, 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 like you want to give money on conditions now. Listen, here's this dollar. Go to school. No. Whatever you give, you give for the glory of God, for the kindness of God. So, so I'm, and, and, you know, my train's coming in five minutes, and I'm wrestling with, do I talk to this guy? And I'm saying, ah, uh, he'll go away, he'll go away. I mean, I look, right? Like, like this is my thing, right? And, and, and so, so, so the Holy Spirit says, no, go give him something. And I say, okay, God, whatever I put my hand in my pocket, whatever comes out, I'll give him. Right? Now, now, just know that I got, and this is a secret that I'll share with you in case you decide to mug me one day. I got mug money, I got real money. Okay? All right? What's the difference between mug money and real money? Okay. The mug money is a bunch of singles that you pull out in a panic when someone's got a gun to your head and you say, yeah, 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 take it, take it. And they'll take it and run off. And then I got my real money. All right? So I put my pocket into my real money and a $5 bill comes out. And I go, okay, I'm going to go in. So I go over to him and I give it to him. I, you know, I put it in front of his face. And he looks up and he starts to cry. And I speak to him in Spanish. because Somebody told me he was Spanish. Now this kid is, you know, light skin, you know, straight hair, you know, nothing in the cakes. Um, and I give him and I say, you know, yo te bendiga. I noticed he's got a rosary around his neck. He starts to cry and he says, I didn't expect this from you. He said, I expected it from a gringo. He told me in Spanish. Because I find that that Spanish people have heart in their hearts and are not compassionate. I say that to say only, have we lost that? Have we gotten so good that we have forgotten where we come from? Yeah, yeah. I, I think you, you become so domesticated, so sophisticated that you've forgotten. So I, I stand there and I talk to him for a little while. He starts talking to me about his story. And as I'm sit, talking to him, on the bench over to the right, there's $2 on the floor. And I say, yo, another blessing. And he says, no. You're my blessing. Because you didn't give me five, you gave me seven. <laughs> he wouldn't have seen that. Because he was, you know, and, and he says something that moved me. He says, and seven is the number of perfection. And then I realized that this was a young man who grew up in the church. Turns out he came from Puerto Rico on a wing and a prayer. Anybody ever travel that way? Right? Nothing in your pocket, I'm just going. And he lost all his ID and he couldn't get back. So I'm giving him information, I'm talking to him, my train is coming, and he goes to hug me. Now, mind you, mind you, this guy smells. He's all jagged up, like I'm seriously, you can see that, that he's scratching on the scabs, his hair and all, and, and, and all I can do was put my arms around him. Here I am on the platform hugging this guy and I can literally feel his bones. 
And he says, today I'm going to eat because of you. He says, don't miss your train. And if you ever want to see me again, this is my bench. I'm always here, five days a week, seven if it's raining outside. You see, unless our mindset changes, unless we read in the scriptures that when we do to others, when we do to the least of these, we're doing it unto the Lord. Not only that, but you're living out your faith. Listen to me. A lot of people will never come to church and listen to a pastor preach. They will get their theology from the lay people in this room. <laughs> they will get the Bible, the love of God, the compassion and mercy of God from the people who sit here week in and week out. That's who will get it. They, they will hardly have contact with me unless I'm on a sidewalk somewhere or in the train or whatever. They're not going to come into the church. But you see people regularly, not only in the subways, but in the streets, in your homes. Now listen to me. This is another thing that we have to be mindful about. Don't think that because you do it, you're better. Don't, 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 don't think that God is keeping a tally and checking off the box how many bags of groceries you gave to somebody. Or how many times you helped the old lady across the street. I just read that therefore, you can never add anything to God. You can never outgive God. You can never do anything to please God except to accept him and live according to what he says. It's important for us to understand this because when Paul says this, he says, I do not understand what I do. For what I want to do, I do not do. Like, I'm, I'm struggling with this. And then he says, even when I do it, I hate what I just did. Has ever been you? Like, honestly, I mean, there, there, there have been moments where, you know, I've done something, and I'm like, oh, man, why did I do that? Why? Because as long as we're in this carnal, this flesh, this body, this body's not going to want to do anything to please or honor God. Nothing. You want to sleep. You want to eat. You want to feed this flesh as often as you possibly can. And the Bible says this, the flesh is weak, but the spirit is willing. He goes on and says this. He says, if I do what I do not want to do, I agree that the law is good. But then he says this. As it is, it is no longer I myself who do it. Now watch this. It is sin living in me. Now, we're slowly moving towards the communion table. And I don't want the communion to be an add-on. I want the communion to be symbolic of what Jesus is trying to teach us through this moment of us taking the bread and drinking the juice. He's reminding us that we have to look within ourselves to see how wretched we really are. And some of you are looking at me and saying, you're good. No, you're not good. Nobody in this room is good. Jesus himself said, why do you call me good? There's no one good but the Father. And Paul says this, so, this, is, this, is, this is so so powerful for us to understand this. He says, for I know that good itself does not dwell in me. That is in my sinful nature. For I have the desire to do what is good, but I cannot carry it out. Why can't we carry it out? Because we don't know how. When you offer your body as a living sacrifice for the single people in this room who have impulses and cannot control themselves, this is a scripture for you to embody. Your body doesn't belong to you. The warm weather is coming around and you're like cats in heat. The Bible calls that something. It's a very bad word. Cover your ears. It starts with an F. It's fornication. I'll say it again. It's fornication. Some of you are tucking your feet in right about now. But let me tell you something. There is this word called compulsion. Everybody know what a compulsion is? <laughs> Spoken at a recovery community. Yes, we do. Compulsion is an irresistible urge to behave in a certain way, especially against one's conscious wishes. They go that mindset again. They go that neural pathway 
I've been doing this so long, I don't know how to stop doing it. This is who I am. No, this is what you've become. Because along the way, you've picked up this way of life, this mindset that the world has impressed upon you, and now you act that way, and now you come into church and you're trying to live a new way, and, and, and you're struggling with it because you don't know how to do it. And I'm saying you don't know how to do it because you're not going into God's word. See, God reminds us of these things. He says, listen, you're going to have these desires. There's nothing wrong with these desires. I put them in you, but I've also set up boundaries in which you should function because we all want the blessings of God. And the blessings, and listen, his love is unconditional, but the blessings are conditional. Why is God going to bless a crazy heathen who's just going out there doing whatever they want? Like, like sometimes we look at our neighbors and they're prospering and we say, man, they got this, they got that. Look at me, I got holes in my shoes. Listen to me. They got their reward. It's their things. I'd rather have holes in my shoe and have Jesus than have all these things and not have Jesus. He says, man, I'm just trying to do this, but I don't know how. I really want to do the right thing. I know that there's sin in me that's unconfessed. I know that there are areas that I've said yes to God, take this, but I'm still holding on to some things. So this compulsion is me. I got this urge. It's irresistible. I want to do it, and I know I shouldn't. Who wins there? Well, the one you feed the most is the one that wins. If this is your food and you're not eating it, but you're watching 50 hours of the Kardashians, then what's going to happen is that mindset is going to rule the moment. It says, go ahead and do it. And then it goes on to say, watch this. Now if I do what I do not want to do, it is no longer I who do it, but it is sin living in me that does it. So there's something still in us that we have to reckon with. There's something we have to confess to God. There, there are things, listen, and it's okay in this room, it's okay. This is a safe environment. You have to be mindful to realize there are still things that you like to do that you think it's okay. And according to this, it's not okay. So that leads me to believe that you don't want to read this because you want to keep doing what you're doing. Because the minute you know and you do, you're in bigger trouble than not knowing. And you're not exempt because every day you come here and you sit in front and the men of God are coming before you and they're teaching you, they're giving you the word and telling you, hey, you can't do that. <laughs> not because you can, but because if you're going to be in relationship, he's begging you, he's pleading with you. And he goes on to say even further, watch this, in Ephesians chapter 4, verse 21 to 23, it says this, it says, when you heard about Christ and were taught in him in accordance with the truth that is in Jesus. Okay, two things. When you heard about Christ, then you have to move into this environment which teaches you. Everybody see that? Because we don't understand this. It's written in such a way of, 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 of style and poetry and, you know, the, the semantics of it. I just don't understand this sometimes, right? You know, like, like when I first read the part about, you know, if your eye causes you to sin, pluck it out. I was like, what you talking about, Willis? <laughs> pluck my eye out? That's not literally what it's saying. You see, until I came into an environment that taught me this, it's saying to us, it's like, listen, we, we have these, when we see things, the normal proclivity for our flesh is I want it. Right? Young people, right? New kicks drop. I see it. I want it. Right? You know, new phone drops. You know, I want it. I, I went the other day yesterday my son to buy him a phone and, you know, get him a phone because he said, oh, my phone's not working. And I had got him stuck. He was like one step above a flip phone. Okay? That, that, that's what he had. And after a while, I was just teaching him, you know, hey, careful what you have and we'll get you more. We go and get it. And of course, the minute you walk in, there are 10 signs for the iPhone 12. What are they doing? Right? It's the power of suggestion. Right? You walk in, and, oh, that's a beautiful phone. And then somebody's holding it and taking pictures and saying, no, you're not getting that one. You're getting that one on the lower shelf. Right? Think about it for a moment. 
There, there are compulsions that we have, but he says, listen, it, it, when you come to Christ, the minute you come to Christ, you have to get into a teaching environment so that you can learn. If you're serious about being transformed, if you're serious about walking a new life, look, look what he says. He says, you are taught with regard. What, what are we teaching you? We're teaching you with regard to the former way of life. Whatever you used to do, you cannot do anymore. Okay, everybody got that? Right? Like, like, like if, if, you, if, if you drank till you pass out, you come to Christ, you can't do that no more. If you use drugs for 30 years, you, you know, you understand what I'm saying? If you slept around, if you lied, if you cheated, you get taught about your former life. That's your former life. Why? Because if you're born again, you enter into this new life. If your conversion is sincere, if you recognize in your life that you need Jesus, then it says, we taught you to your former life. And then he goes on to say, put off your old self. But I don't want to. I like my old self. In fact, every now and then, I want to resurrect my old self. I want to give my old self CPR because I need him in this moment. And he goes, he says this. It says, this, is being, this which is being corrupted by deceitful desires, the desires you have that are not in line with what God has for you because you're not delighting in him are deceitful. He says, you need to be made new in the attitude of your minds. Why does Luke say that we have to love the Lord your God with all your heart and with all your soul and with all your strength and with all your mind? Why did he say that? Because when we love God with all our mind, when we make decisions to obey his every command, that's what's going to happen with us. When we say we love God with all our mind, then we're going to obey whatever commands he has for us. Because the Bible says, as a man thinketh in his heart, so he will be. See, this compulsion, it's, 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 there's a clash going on. And Paul talks about this. There's this battle going on within me to want to do the right thing but I don't know how. Why? Because I haven't armed myself to be able to resist those temptations when they come. Temptation is not a sin. Can we agree with that? It's not. You giving into it is a sin. You giving into it. And the temptation becomes appealing to you because there's still sin within you that you're not addressing. You're not confessing. You're not in an environment in which you're being held accountable. I currently am discipling five men intensely, like intensely, like five days a week. What does that mean? It means that I'm in their business because they asked me to. I said, I don't think you know what you're asking. Can you be my mentor? I don't think you know what you're asking. I said, here's what I know. You're in recovery. I need your sponsor's number. I need your wife's number. Right before I got here, I learned that one of them wasn't doing some work. And, you know, this church is founded on addicts loving on addicts. Their family and their friends. Are we clear about that? Right? This is a community in which God is trying to reach a particular group of people with the love of God. Amen? So I called up his sponsor. <laughs> I said, hey, man, my man did any work this You know, he's doing it right. He says, no, nah, man, I haven't heard from him in a week. So what do I do? I get on his sponsor, too. I said, is his sponsorship a two-way relationship? Come on, help me out here. It is, Right? You know, some of you get so good in being clean that now you think they got to kiss the ring. They got to call you. Well, didn't Jesus go outside to find you? Weren't you that sheep that wandered off? Weren't you that sheep that left? Yet Jesus says, I'm going to leave my 99 to go after you. <laughs> See the mindsets that we develop even in the church, even in our clean time, even in our good you know, life that we have, we forget where we've come from. 
And I wish I had pictures of all of you before and after. Like, like Chris showed me a picture of that before and after. Like Chris has some weight on him now. He's looking good. But when, when no, no, listen, that's good weight. That, that's God weight. Okay, we got to trim it a little bit, but that's okay. But when Chris came in here and sat in that same chair, when Chris came in this room and sat in that same chair, he was thinner than thin. And I got to tell you, he looks better now than he did then. Okay? But it's important. I would love to see your before and after pictures. Right? Because all of you put your best pictures on Facebook. All of you. Best pictures. And, and, and everybody has the same pose. Everybody. Everybody got that same pose. You know? Listen to me. We're taught about our former life and how that life no longer is applicable to what we want to do today. If you want to be a disciple of Jesus Christ, you have to put yourself in an environment in which you're being discipled. You're being taught the word of God. You have people in your life that are helping you in this process. I have people that still help me, still correct me, still remind me, still love on me, still help me to continue. Like I always say to the people around me, I got two kinds of people in my life, those that I'm trying to lead closer to Christ and those that are helping me get closer to Christ. I immediately identify the people that are coming into my life. If you're trying to take me away from Christ, then you can't be in my life. And I've had to say no to my own family members. I've had to say, no, I'm not doing that. I'm not doing this. Now, mind you, now it's completely different. But earlier on, I had to struggle with that. I had to struggle with running with them and trying to walk with God. It was difficult because my family was still in the game. They still were hustling. They were still doing this and that. There wasn't a moment. If you open the refrigerators in our homes, milk was in the back. The beer was in the front. Do you understand what I'm saying? Like the cabinets were full of liquor. You go into the drawers, there's weed. Like everything was, you know, it was, that was the normal for us. When I started coming to Christ. He says, listen, we're teaching you about your former way of life. You got to put that away. And I'm saying, yeah, but that's my family. I love them. He says, no, you got to love me more than you love them. And I'm like, so something began to clash with my mindset. But I also realized that if I wanted to change my life, I couldn't do that anymore. So what I'm trying to convey to everybody today, and I hope you're listening, that the Bible clearly says that we shouldn't conform to the ways of this world. As attractive as they may seem, they promise, but they never deliver. And you have to be mindful. Listen, I don't know about, you know, like I listen to people's stories, and I love listening to people's stories, and I say, man, that's where God pulled you out of. Why would you want to go back? Why would you want to go back to that? He clearly says, put off your old self. I know that there's desires that you have, but these desires, if they're not in line with you delighting in God, God, the Bible says God wants to give us the desires of our heart, but if we delight in him first. A lot of us throw that word around and says, oh, God's going to give you the desires of your heart. No, it's not. God will give you the desires of your heart when you delight in him. What does delight look like him? When I sit down and read this word, when I first started reading, and even to this day, I get lost in it. Like I, I, I've learned to insert myself in the pages so that I'm not exempt as if I'm reading something that happened way back then. No, this is real today. It's relevant today. So I want to encourage you, all of you to realize and search your hearts. Man, I, I'm saying I'm a Christian, but if I was brought into a court of law being accused to be a Christian, would there be enough evidence to convict me? Like I meet with my Muslim brothers, the serious ones, those that are not serious, because I was at Rikers Island, and uh, I, I wasn't locked up. You guys see that? <laughs> Although I felt like I was locked up. I, I wanted to teach, when I first started teaching, I wanted to teach in the most dangerous environments there were. I wanted to go to the Lower East Side. I taught there, and then I wound up going to Rikers and teaching the adolescent unit there. And I remember running to, into a couple of kids who, um, who they have their tags, their ID, right? One of them was Jewish, Spanish kid. And I said, dude, I just saw you eat like a ham sandwich. 
He says, no, shh, shh, shh. I only say that I'm Jewish because the food is kosher. Nobody speaks in it. Run into another kid. He's got the Muslim tags. We're in the coup. I say, yo, I just saw you eat a three musketeer bar. He says, nah, man. Nobody messes with the Muslims in here. Can I ask you, why are you calling yourself a Christian? If you're calling yourself a Christian. Because the word Christian means Christ-like. And to be Christ-like, you have to be about your father's business. And if to be Christ-like, when you read this Bible, you'll realize that he came to do the will of the father and that he also spent time with his father. And that he also, when confronted, used the word to diffuse the situation. I don't know about you, but I'm in trouble. And I'm in trouble because I say I'm a Christian. So the bullseye is bigger on my back than it is on anyone else that doesn't say that. A lot of us think that we're exempt from the things that happen, but we're not. My thing is, how would you deal with these things if you don't know who God is? See, I always thought God was not interested in me. That he was far and up, up in the sky because everybody who prayed looked up, so I figured, okay, so he's got to be up there somewhere. See, that was my mindset. When I realized that he's omnipresent, that he's everywhere at all times, that he's with me and for me, it began to change how I began to live. Now, mind you, all I'm trying to do is be better today than I was yesterday. Can we do that? Can, can we try to be better tomorrow than we are today? Allow every moment to reveal to us our hearts. And as we reveal our hearts, how would I walk? How would I live? How will I honor God? with the life that he's given me. We can conform to this world and it's going to give you what you want. Or you can be transformed by the renewing of your mind, the entrance of God's word in your life, and you will experience the fullness of life and people will be amazed at the transformation that has happened. They will ask you what happened to you. Let's bow our heads for a moment. Glory be to God. Hallelujah. Thank you, Lord Jesus. Praise you, Father. As we prepare to take communion, I, I hope that you've leaned in and have heard something that will shine a light in our hearts and in our minds and this is not about condemnation. This is about conviction. When, when someone comes to me and says, Pastor, you know, what about this or what about that? When I read something, I have to look at myself before anything else. When I get up here or anybody gets up here and preaches to you, if they haven't embodied or allowed this message to get inside them and correct them, and they're just words. There are things in my life that I have found that I'm conforming to the ways in this world. And when I started studying for this, I realized this, and of course, the conviction that comes over anyone who's trying to follow God is that I had to pray, I had to repent, and I had to um, realize that this was true. You see, when something is revealed to us, we can resist it, we can fight it, we can deny it. And maybe some of you are in this room and you're doing that right now. Maybe you're saying, well, you know, that's all well and good, but I'm not there yet. Well, are you on your way there? Are you giving yourself the opportunity to be in this process where transformation can happen? Because that, that's something we need to repent about. We need to say, God, I, 
I'm not really doing those things that I'm supposed to be doing. I'm fighting every day to kind of be free from this and I don't realize that the only one that can set me free is you. And I'm afraid to surrender this life that I've been living for so long is such a part of me that I don't know. It scares me. Change scares me. But I want you to know that if you're in that place where you want to change, you don't know how. It starts with confession. It starts with you talking to God right now, this moment, about where you are. Being honest with him and asking him to help you. God, I still want to do me. I don't know if I can let go of this. Stop doing this. And the truth is, we can't. Not until we surrender to him will we ever be free. I don't want to be a prisoner anymore. I don't want to be in bondage. I don't want to continue to stumble and fall get back up and fall and get back up and that's great if I'm trying if I'm in this process of allowing him to work through my life then that's okay if I'm falling and I'm moving forward there's evidence of that there's evidence of that growth but I want us today as we're sitting here just begin to allow yourself to have an honest conversation with God I know that everybody in this room wants to be better. I know that. But I also know you can't do it on your own. And you've been trying so long to do it on your own. Maybe you're scared. Maybe you don't know how. Let us help you. Let us, let us come alongside you. Let us walk with you. The Bible talks about how the older women should teach the younger women. The Bible talks about how those who've been doing this for a little while come alongside with those who are just coming around. And if you're a person in this room that's been coming around for a little while, you have enough to give somebody who's just coming around. But you can't do that if you're still stuck on you. You're forgetting that someone reached back to help you. take a moment as we reflect on this. Praise you, Lord Jesus. Praise you, Father. Thank you, Jesus. Father, I thank you so much. We can't do this without you. The renewing of our minds happens as you to our lives and begin to care for us. We need you, Lord. More and more of you. Where would I be without you, God? we've had a moment of reflection at this time we're going to take communion I want to be very clear that if you have not received Jesus Christ as your Lord and Savior this is an opportunity for you to do that I need to be very very clear about this this is sometimes we fall short in the instruction of the word of God if you don't if you don't know Jesus and you have not accepted Jesus Christ as your Savior and Lord this part of the service is not for you we give you an opportunity to confess Christ, an opportunity to say yes to Christ. If Christ is someone that you look to and love and he's in your heart and, and you surrendered, and, and then this is the time for us to be able to take communion. This is not an exclusive exception. This is simply what the Bible tells us.
Paul in 1 Corinthians, when he's teaching them, there's a bunch of things that he talks about. And how important it is because at that time the people were coming together and they were eating and drinking as if it was a meal and they were hungry and they were not clear about the symbolism of it. And I don't want our church to be ignorant of the symbolism of communion because then what happens is we'll take communion in a blase blah way not realizing that we cause affliction upon ourselves. Now again, this is not me. This is what the word of God teaches us. Because he talks about, in 1 Corinthians chapter 11, he talks about how we need to examine ourselves. It says, therefore, whoever eats this bread or drinks this cup of the Lord in an unworthy manner will be guilty of the body and the blood of the Lord. But let a man, universal, examine himself, so let him eat of the bread and drink of the cup. For whoever eats and drinks in an unworthy manner eats and drinks judgment to himself, not discerning the Lord's body. I didn't put that there. This is what it teaches us about communion. When you enter into this time in an unworthy way, it's the same way with baptism. People want to jump in. But if you jump in and don't have the understanding of it, all you just did was get wet. I don't want you to take part of this way in, in, in a frivolous way. I want you to realize that every single time we do this, we do it in remembrance of the Lord. So if you don't know Jesus in this room, please, this is your opportunity to say yes to Jesus. All you have to do is right there where you are, bow your head, invite him into your heart, confess that you're a sinner, and you can take part in communion. It's important for us to understand that. The other part that we have to understand is that when we take communion, we have to be mindful of how we are feeling at this moment. If there's somebody in this room that you've offended, there's somebody in this room that you might have said something or, 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 or hurt in any way, or there's a gripe that you have with someone in this room and you're not willing to reconcile at the moment, you shouldn't take communion either. Again, this is not me. This is teaching you what's going to help you transform. That's my responsibility. That's the pastor's responsibility. Whoever stands in front of you is teaching you. When they get up here to sing, they're not just singing, they're worshiping. They're worshiping. Which means that you're singing the songs that you're singing all week that you're coming into the house of Lord elated because you have another day that you have lived. In the Old Testament times, they ran around. I grew up in a church where we had runners. Runners and jumpers and leapers. People who were ecstatic because of what God was doing in their lives. And they had no shame. You know that David undressed himself as he entered the city as he brought back the ark of God David the king to the criticism of people around him he said you know what he said he said I don't care about them this is between me and God between me and God sometimes I'm in my car and I'm singing and guys you hear my voice already Sometimes I'm in the house singing and my kids are saying, oh, dad, please stop. It's my worship. God doesn't care that I got a beautiful voice. He looks at my heart. He looks at my heart. He's looking at my heart. I sound like a frog. But he loves that I worship him in spirit and in truth. So as we take the communion, I've given you some instructions. Please, as you're instructed in the word of God, that's what becomes part of your life now. And Paul says this, For I received from the Lord that which I also delivered to you, that the Lord Jesus, on the same night in which he was betrayed, took bread. And when he had given thanks, he broke it and said, Take, 
eat. This is my body which is broken for you. You do this in remembrance of me. You may eat the bread. Thank you, Lord. Thank you, Father. It says here, in the same manner, he also took the cup after supper, saying, this cup is the new covenant in my blood. This do as often as you drink it in remembrance of me. May drink. 